Yeah, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures and what's going on in other places. My name is Nosayari, and today I have yet another guest. Um, I'm very excited today because uh, my guest today is has Nigerian heritage, even though he was born in the UK. I mean, what doesn't he do? He's, he's quite an eclectic individual. He's a rapper. I mean, he's had several of his songs go viral. He's sold over 25,000 uh, copies of his album so far. He's an author. Uh, he's a fitness expert. He's a podcaster. He's a speaker. He's a coach. He's a graduate of, of Oxford University where he studied computer science. He worked at Accenture. He's uh, pretty much Superman. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Zuby. <laughs> How are you doing now? So good to see you, bro. Good, good, good. What can't you do, man? You seem like uh, an individual that just sets his <laughs> mind at doing something and just goes for it. Like you're in all these spaces, like you're, you're on the hip hop charts and next day you're talking to Ben Shapiro and the next day you're <laughs> like talking about sports and the next day you're like, you're just all over the place, man. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things. But um, yeah, what, what, what can't I do? I'm, I'm pretty bad at skiing and I'm terrible at skating. <laughs> I'm sure if you want to try skiing, you can. I mean, I live in Colorado. If you ever come oh, yeah, out here, man, I'll take you to the slopes. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, if I if I, I'm I'm a pretty binary individual. If I put my mind to something, then um I go for it and I do it. Yeah, and I really appreciate it because I'm Nigerian myself. And when I see people like you do things, like it really encourages me and motivates me to get off my behind and do things myself. So uh, thank you for inspiring me like thousands of miles away. That's awesome, man. I, I'm ha- very happy to hear that. Definitely, definitely. Okay, before we get into the show, let me ask you a few. Quick questions. Uh, so I'll give you two options and you just pick the one that resonates with you best. So we're just okay. trying to ascertain or determine like your personality. This is not scientifically proven or anything. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to <laughs> have a feel for the episode. So are you ready? Yep, let's go. All right. Joe Rogan or Ben Shapiro? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> let's go, man. Let's go. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that, that's not fair, man. They're, they're both my dudes. No, come on. You can't be PC. Oh, man. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Where do you have the most fun? What interview did you have the most fun? Oh, the mo- oh, okay. Which interview? Yeah. I, I, I actually preferred the Ben Shapiro interview. Oh, what about the, like, their, either of their political views? Which one resonate with you more? <laughs> um, politically, I'm closer to Ben than I am to Joe. Um, Got it. Yeah, politically, yeah. Okay, let's take it back to Nigeria for a bit. Egusi or Obano? Uh, Egusi. All right. A sports, deadlift, or bench press? Deadlift. Okay, a little bit politics now. Candace Owens or Al Sharpton? Candace Owens. All right. Podcasts or YouTube? Ooh. Uh, YouTube. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Democrats or Republican? Republican. Who's your favorite author of all time? Ooh. Um, I honestly don't really have one. I know that's a cop out, but I, I genuinely, I genuinely don't have one. What, well, who, which author do you think you've read the most in your life? Um, hmm, probably R.L. Stein because I used to read all of the Goosebumps books when I was a oh, kid. Oh, so. same here. Same here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't read one of them for twenty yeah. something years. But R.L. Stein and, and Ed Blyton, all those like kids. Yeah, books. I used to read a lot of that as a kid. So technically, that's probably the person who's. I've read the most books from actually. Okay. Okay. Your favorite president of all time from all countries globally. Favorite. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Favorite what? President of all time globally. Oh man. I, I, I do not have one. I really don't. Favorite rap group of all time. Ooh. 
Bone Thugs and Harmony. Interesting, really. Mm. Huh, you keep it so real with your music. And even though, of course, Bone Thug is classified as real hip hop, but they started like doing the harmony, like singing and rapping years before mm. Drake. Mm. So some people might have an argument there that uh, are they really like real hip hop or kind of like yeah. hip hop R&B. But that's pretty interesting. But yeah, let's talk about your background a little bit. So um, it's your real name, Azubike. Is that the Nigerian way to say uh, your name? No, no, no? it's uh, Unzube. Oh, Unzube. Okay. Yeah, all yeah, right. Yeah. All right. All right. So Unzube Udezwe, am I, am uh, I correct? Yeah, all right. Yeah. So you're, you're this individual who has Nigerian heritage. You were born in the UK, but when very early in your life, you actually went to school or in Saudi Arabia, correct? Mm-hmm. How was that like? Like, that's like three different tangents, like having Nigerian parents, <laughs> being born in the UK, then going yeah. to school in Saudi Arabia. What was that like? Yeah, most definitely. Um, it was cool, you know. Um, it, it's always a difficult question to answer because each of our lives is just our lives. So I don't really have a control that I can compare to of what my life would have been like if I grew up in a in a totally different way. But um, Saudi Arabia was was great. I was afforded a lot of opportunities in in my life. I grew up around great people, a great family with great parents. You know, I I cannot complain about that aspect of things much at all. I'm very blessed in that regard. And it's something that I'm very clear and, and open about. In terms of the different cultures and countries and societies, I, I'm, I'm very blessed in that regard as well, because it's given me an interesting perspective on a lot of things, because I can see different issues from different angles, because I'm able to sort of reframe my brain to understand things that most people might not, especially when it comes to foreign cultures or the ways that things are done in different countries. So I've had a lot of exposure to British culture, American culture, Nigerian culture, um, Saudi Arabian, Arabic culture. So I can sort of cherry pick the aspects of each of them that I like and apply those to my life and my worldview and you know, kind of discard the stuff that I don't like so much in each one. So it's it's been wonderful from that perspective i think the reason why a lot of people are interested in my ideas and the way that i put things out there is you know some aspects because of my my personality and the way of doing things but i think some of it is just from that perspective that i've been granted from having such a varied upbringing so i'm very grateful for it yeah, yeah, sure. And I'm pretty jealous. Like I try to like this whole podcast is about talking to people from different backgrounds, like, you know, interacting with other cultures and stuff. But you seem to like have had it all. Like you had Nigerian heritage, you went to Saudi Arabia, you actually went to an American school in Saudi Arabia. So that's kind of like the best of both worlds in the mm-hmm. sense. And you went to boarding school in the UK. So you kind of like see the world from all different aspects. Uh, is it safe to say that your first Introduce your first culture to be introduced to besides the Nigerian culture of being your parents was like the American culture, given to that you went to mm. American school, or was more like the Middle Eastern culture, given that you were in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I would say that even despite the fact I grew up in Saudi Arabia because of the type of area I grew up in, the American culture and dominance was more than the Saudi one, um, at least within where I lived. Outside of that, if you're kind of going out into what I would call the real Saudi, then you got those aspects of it. But in terms of the of the lifestyle and even the people I was primarily surrounded by and my school teachers and classmates and friends, et cetera, that was, you know, it, was, it wasn't all Americans at all. You know, it was a range of people from all over. 
but I would say that the American influence was was very heavy, down to the fact that you know you can hear my voice right now and the accent <laughs> I speak, the yeah. accent I speak with isn't the typical British accent. Yeah, your accent. I don't think I can place your accent to any country, to be honest. Yeah, like, right. it's not British. Right. It's not American. It's not Ni- definitely not Nigerian. It's, <laughs> you kind of like have like a rapper or a radio. I think you have like a radio <laughs> accent. I think that's yeah. what, that's what I'll call it. Um, a lot of people got to know about you uh, last year from what you did with the Women's Deathlift Record. So let me explain this to listeners who might not be familiar with the story. So you posted a video on Twitter. And you said you were going to break the UK women's deadlift record or weight record while identifying as a woman. Mm-hmm. And you went ahead to do that. And I think you also broke the bench press record also, correct? I did. Like what? <laughs> that was very funny because it brought this <laughs> argument up about, you know, trans uh, people in sports. Like, you know, should we allow like transgender males or transgender females participate in like male or female sports? You know, there was a whole controversy about, you know, um, those uh, female at- athletes who were born male participating in high school sports in the USA. So you just went there and said, look, I didn't train. I didn't practice. I identify as a woman, I temporarily identify as a woman, and I'm going to share this record. Like, what yeah. led you to come up with that concept? Because it was such a simple thing, <laughs> and such a simple video, but it resonated, yeah. started appearing on CNN and all these mm, places, and mm. started spurring all this conversation, and it led to people asking that, are people too woke and things like that? Like, well, let me, let me first ask you, how did you conceptualize that whole thing? Because you, you communicated so much in such a simple mm. video. How, how did you come about with that? Okay. Well, it's something that I've been observing sneaking in for several years, right? I'd, I'd seen an increasing number of stories about uh, biological men, whether they're truly transgender or not. I don't, I'm not even totally sure what that means, but biological males competing against biological women in women's sports which is, to anyone who has basic understanding of biology, is clearly not fair and I think is a a very bad idea. And it's something that I'd seen happening here and there in different sports over the years. I think I first started noticing it maybe around 2016. And the week that I posted that video, in fact, the day that I posted it, I think I'd seen three articles in a row of this happening in various sports. I saw a situation happen in high school athletics in the U.S. where there was a female race and the two, the the people who came first and second were both males who claimed they identify as women. And then um, I'd seen another situation happening, which I think was in wrestling, and then another one regarding weightlifting. And just out of curiosity, I thought, hmm. I wonder what the British women's deadlift record is in my weight class. So (laughs) I just Googled it and I saw that it was significantly less than my maximum. So the video that I posted that went viral was already a video that was online. Um, I had that video on YouTube just as a training video. I think it maybe had about 70 views or something like that. It wasn't any popular video. So I just took that clip and I just posted it on Twitter with the... uh, sort of what's it called the, the, the sort of caption or the text talking Songy about yeah caption. i keep hearing about how biological men have no strength advantage over women in 2019 so watch me destroy the british women's deadlift record without trying p.s i identified as a woman whilst lifting the weight so don't be a bigot so i just tweeted that out there thinking um you know just a, a bit a bit of humor 
Um, I wasn't expecting it to go anywhere near as far as it did. I, think I don't believe you, man. You are deliberate about that, man. <laughs> oh, man, dude. If, if, I, if I'd seen that coming, I would have had a lot more things prepared. Got but, it. Um, yeah, the thing, it just, it went crazy. It, it went totally crazy. I think it hit 10,000 views within 10 minutes, I think over 100,000 in a couple of hours. I woke up in the morning, it was over half a million. This thing just kept going and growing and spreading further and further and further and sort of just causing all of this splash damage, um, which I couldn't have fathomed and predicted. But um, the amount of people who discovered me off of that is actually crazy. Like millions of people saw that video and hundreds of thousands of them have now become fans, followers in some aspect of the word. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it, especially here in the States, like a lot mm -hmm. of us like got to discover you like that way. And it was interesting because <laughs> you had like female athletes responding. You had like <laughs> transgender athletes responding, yeah. saying, no, you can't necessarily identify as a female athlete mm. if you haven't had hormonal therapy. And you had kind of like a response like, look, even though I went to, even if, I'm sure even if I went to hormonal therapy, mm -hmm. I'll still be able to do this. That was kind yeah, of like yeah. a little cocky in a sense, but it was interesting because <laughs> it forced people to like kind of like have yeah. a conversation like i'm neither here nor there but i'm kind of like a fan of the way you delivered that message and such yeah thank you I, I think like the video yeah i think it was very effective because number one it was a bit of a checkmate maneuver because people had to either concede that i am a woman and that the record is valid or they had to say no that doesn't count because you're a man and in that case, their ideology becomes invalid. <laughs> yeah, you so, were kind of like taking advantage of the system they created. Exactly, right. Way. I was just like, okay, I'm, so I'm just going to take your logic. And I'm not going to argue against you. I'm not going to come up with a debate rooted in facts about why your idea is a bad idea. I'm just going to show it to you, right? And if you have a problem with this, then explain the problem. So it worked like that. Obviously, there was the humor in it. I think the fact that it was a video and people could visually see what was going on um, everything about it just just hit. It, it tapped on a lot of different veins. It was very relevant at the time being. It was a much bigger conversation that was going on than I even realized because I think people were talking about the um, Olympics that were supposed to take place this year. And they were discussing what the situation should be and the rules regarding that, all that kind of stuff. So it went viral in all these different worlds. It went viral in the world of sports, um, politics, society, culture, all of these different just all of these different areas. Um, it put my name on the map in all these different areas. And look, like 99% of the feedback was positive. Most people thought it was funny. Most people thought it was making a good point. Most people understood the point being made. There was a 1% of people who, you know, tried to push back or, you know, claimed they found it offensive or whatever. Nobody could really give a good explanation as to why it was offensive. Um, I think they sort of, sometimes you get people who want to be mad and they want to be outraged, but they can't really articulate why. Like they just know that, and I think that's because they know that they don't really have a rebuttal to it. And when people don't have a rebuttal, they tend to get angry and they try to just attack you or call you names rather Personal than actually thing. explain. Yeah. Rather than explain why what you actually said was wrong. It's quite a good sign that you've actually won an argument. Um, and so, yeah, that happened and things have just gone on and grown and new opportunities, new networks, and things have just really, really grown very significantly ever since that point.
Got it, got it. And I agree, like the humor was hilarious. Like if you read your YouTube comments, <laughs> like it's crazy. Like there was this people who were commenting because you were like on a talk show with like a female presenter and someone was like, nothing to see here, just two women chatting. <laughs> yeah, <I was> like, <laughs> I've actually accepted that I'm, I'm going to have to just like live with that joke for the rest of my life now because got it, got it. I still, I still get people, you know, doing an interview and, you know, as you did, you know, I get, I get introduced as the, the British women's deadly <laughs> strong, strongest woman in England and all that strongest kind of stuff. women. So, yeah. But you know, I, I'm mad. I, I've got a, I've got a sense of humor. And I think in this day and age, you absolutely need one because people are too amped up. People are too fired up. Everybody wants to be angry. Everybody wants to be offended all the time. And I think at this time, humor is more necessary than, than ever. And um, mm. I think if you're com combating something that I personally feel is ridiculous, then using humor and satire can be a lot more effective than trying to use logic and rationale because it's hard to use logic and rationale to get someone out of a point that they didn't reach with logic and rationale. Um, so sometimes you have to go for the emotional angle to show why stuff doesn't make sense. Got it. Got it. And you know, that's just an example of, I mean, you've had like more than a thousand controversial tweets uh, over the last couple of years. <laughs> you're, you're kind of like in this pocket. I mean, you're like, uh, it's safe to say you're a Trump supporter. You, you don't... Is it? I mean, I guess it's safe to say. I mean, typically you, you tend to support most of the ideas of Trump. Not certainly not all of them, mm. but you're not like the typical... African-American or black person as a whole that just, you know, believes in... I think most Nigerians like Trump, according to... Yeah, those. I mean, Nigeria is more or less a conservative <laughs> country. Like, you know yeah, what it is no. like... Uh, I, I don't even... Look, I don't care if... I don't really care what people choose to label me. I don't, expect, I don't personally call myself a Trump supporter. I certainly don't hate him. I mean, I think a lot of people consider anyone who doesn't hate Trump to be a Trump supporter. And um, I'm someone who tries to defend the truth, and I'm someone who tries to be relatively objective. Um, I don't hide the ball. If I were an American, I most likely would vote for him. Um, but, and, and, you know, some of that is because the options at hand are, have, are not great and they haven't been for many years. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think he, he, a lot of people lie about him a lot. A lot of people spread, spread a lot of lies whilst ironically complaining that he's the one who tells a lot of lies. So I'm someone who defends the truth. Um, and I'll do that even for people who I don't, who I, who I don't agree with or who I don't particularly like or whatever, if I see someone spreading lies about them, then I, I feel it's important for people, especially in the, the speed at which things move these days, uh, lies can spread very quickly. In fact, lies can spread far quicker than the truth does. And once people believe a lie, it's kind of hard to get them to unbelieve it. So, you know, a lot of the times when I am so-called defending Trump, I'm actually just trying to clarify the truth and defend the truth so that if someone just says something like totally crazy that they've made up, I'll be the one who's like, no, nah, that's not actually, that's not actually true, right? You're welcome to criticize the man. There's loads of criticisms that I myself have of Trump. Mm -hmm. um, true. I don't feel a need to voice them all. Like I don't need to voice absolutely every criticism I have of every politician, especially if they're not even in my country. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it, it always leads to interesting conversations anyway. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, there was a particular, like, you don't seem to like, you seem to always resist the herd mentality when it comes to liberal views in a sense. Mm -hmm. And in a, in a way, I try to, I, I kind of understand it in a way. I might not support a lot of the things you say, but I kind of understand the, you know, argument that you and Candace mm -hmm. Owens usually have that, look, tell, black tell people... Me, tell, 
Black tell me tell me what you disagree with because people always tell me they, they they don't agree with stuff but they never tell me specifically so specifically I'm i mean we yeah. can get into that definitely but like you you and <laughs> okay. candace you and candace owens always say you know black people are not a monolith of because course. you are born black doesn't necessarily mean you should be a democrat and obviously you know joe biden says something about that that you know if you don't oh, gosh, vote democrat yeah. you ain't black all that stuff like mm-hmm. we have the freedom to be diverse in our thoughts we have mm-hmm. the freedom to be diverse in the type of people we support i support that particular idea but it all it almost seems that like you and people like Candace Owens to push that narrative that look we don't necessarily have to think the same you kind of have to go to the extreme to prove it it's kind of like the me too movement right yes we understand that women have been victimized and been sexually harassed and have been you know taken advantage of like historically but for people to push the me too movement they kind of like take it to the far extreme that look in war there has to be blood there has to be casualties and we have to make our voice as loud as possible and we have to make this situation as severe as possible so people hear us because if you're just saying it in a low tone then people don't necessarily agree do you think you're guilty of that in a way like taking it to the extreme not in the slightest i mean if you have an example of me taking something something to the extreme i'd be be oh i do yeah go ahead please do oh no let, let me hear your explanation first Oh, sure. No, I I know. I think I'm very moderate. I think a lot of other people take things to the extreme and I often rein them back in because no, I don't, I don't believe I have any extreme views. I'd be curious as to, you know, if you, if you disagree with that, where, where you think that lies, but, um, you know, even with Candace, I mean, I brought this up when I did my interview with her, which is that, um, you know, we actually have pretty different approaches. Her, her approach is more extreme than mine is. Mm. And, um, she considers herself, you know, the alarm clock for Black America. That's what she calls herself. So I think you're in the UK, so you still have some gentlemanliness or something. Uh, it's just, it's just not my approach, you know. Like I'm not, you know, occasionally to make a point, especially on a short medium like Twitter, right? I'll I'll generalize a little bit or paint with a broad brush. But if I'm having an actual conversation or I'm doing an interview or a podcast or something, then um, you know, I try to articulate my thoughts with quite a lot of nuance and thought and balance rather than coming it from a hardline perspective because I'm not hardline on most things. Like I'm, I'm very open-minded. I've got my own principles and ideas and conclusions that I've reached, but on anything I have a strong view on, I can argue the opposite side of it better than most people who even believe the opposite side of it. You articulate. I give from, you that. I give thank you that. You. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's come from a lot of conversations and a lot of thought because I don't reach conclusions just based off of, I don't, I don't reach any conclusion without looking at the opposite side of it, right? I look at both arguments and it's like, okay, this, the best argument of this side or the best arguments of this side make more sense to me and I think are more rational than the ones on the other side, or I just think they work better. And that's generally where I'll, I'll go. I don't think I'm somebody who you can, you know, I've, I've certainly got like trends in some of my views and some of my principles are, you know, fall down certain lines, but I'm, I don't think I'm somebody who you can just know a single one of my views mm. or a sing- single opinion of mine and automatically get right with 100% accuracy all, all of the other ones, right? It's, it's, more, it's more nuanced than that, which is why I don't really like to label myself. Um, if other people choose to label me, then I don't really care, but I don't really like to sort of fall totally into this dichotomy of just being like, okay, I'm just, I'm this or I'm that. And those labels mean different things to different people anyway. So there's not much use in them as far as I'm concerned. 
But what do you say to people who claim to see through you that, look, I see what you're doing, that if you're a black guy supporting like black causes most of the time and whatnot, and not to say that you don't support some black causes, that you kind of like be like a regular person because so many people do that, but you stand out when you're on the other side and you're like, conservative and you're black and you're you know pushing those views that you tend to stand out and that in turn makes you sell more albums more merch gives you visibilities in countries like america and things well, like that. i think that's hilarious because i've held those views for the past 13 years and mm. no one ever levied those accusations at me <laughs> until mm. i actually started to gain some more prominence uh, it you know had i if, if i'd been someone who was on one side and sort of shifted massively and quickly then that would hold a little bit more weight. But um, anyone who knows me personally and has had these conversations with me, you know, would know that, okay, like he hasn't actually changed up his position. There's just more eyeballs on him and more people know who he is. But that's just Zuby being Zuby. And, you know, I find it funny that the idea of like black conservatives even being rare because most black people in the world, as far as I'm aware, are conservatives. Mm. Um, <laughs> certainly Nigerians like yeah, who are religious ex- who are conservative yeah, who hold exa- dare to true value yes, all those things yes, yeah. exactly so I find it kind of funny that in the UK or in the USA especially people find the idea of you know a black person being conservative sort of some kind of unicorn or something because I'm a bit like have you been to Africa like just Nigeria mm. <laughs> or like yeah, you know lots I mean, of these anti-gay things. anti-transgender we have conservative yeah, like I'm, values in, in, religious... in Nigeria I'd be considered a liberal <laughs> I guess I'd be considered any, any, a liberal. Anyone right? who lived, I, anyone who lived abroad would be considered liberal yeah, in Nigeria. Because once I'd you be, live yeah. abroad and you have certain level of exposure, yeah. you tend to disagree with a lot of the systems mm. in Nigeria, and that automatically yeah, kind of liberal. makes I've you got, more liberal leaning. Yeah, yeah I, I have no problem. I have no problem with gay people. I've got tons of gay friends. Like mm-hmm. I believe everyone should be totally equal under the law. I, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to be bullied or harassed or whatever because of you know their sexual proclivities or whatever you know, stuff like that. You know, I've got other values that are more traditionally conservative, but, you know, in terms of, yeah, you know, I, I, I believe in God, you know, I believe in family and the family unit and the importance of those structures, et cetera. There are certain structures that I believe in and I think are important, but I'm also very much an individualist and I believe in a lot of ideas from libertarianism. I don't think the government should be involved in everything. I think people should have mm. freedom, autonomy, everybody should be treated fairly, equally under the law and so on and so forth. So, in some senses of the of the word i mean if you looked at the proper dictionary definition of liberal or you looked at the proper dictionary definition of conservative i would probably fit both of them <laughs> and it's just um you know people see things in different ways and um it seems like in 2020 i certainly align more with conservatives and libertarians than i do with what people mm. call liberals now but i think that a lot of what people call liberalism now is actually a weird version of progressivism or leftism. I don't so really you don't live in the clouds. You're more realistic. Yeah, I'm very much. A, I'm very much a realist, but I'm. I'm also an optimist as well. You know, I'm very optimistic. I believe. Um, part of why I'm more libertarian is because I think, like, look, we can make better. We can make better decisions for ourselves and for our lives than the government can. And if I look at a lot of problems, even if people want to talk about, um, you know, people on the left more so, you know, they love to talk about, you know, systemic racism and institutional racism and um, structural racism, all of these things. And the question I like to ask them is who implemented all of that? So if I'm giving you all these stuff, if you're talking about, you know, specifically in America, if you are talking about uh, some aspects of slavery, if you're talking about Jim Crow laws, if you're talking about redlining, if you're talking about certain welfare policies that ripped apart the black American families, who did that? It's the government. 
It's all the government. So why do you want to put all your trust and all your faith in the government and continue to expand that and give them more power over you when they have proven to you for centuries and for the past decades, all my entire life, whether it's a Republican um, administration or a Democratic in, in administration, you know, they make all these promises. They talk all this talk on the campaign trail, but what, what are they doing for you? You've had all these big cities that are, you know, have high black populations that have been run by Democrats for the past 40 years, and they're still dealing with the same problems. So that's part of why I'm more libertarian leaning, even from that aspect, because I'm like, well, why do you want to just keep, what makes you think that the government is going to fix these problems? I, I don't, mm. I kind of don't buy into it in that sense. So I'm not even like a, I'm not like a hardcore Republican. My message to, you know, anybody, but, you know, I guess especially black Americans isn't me saying like, yeah, you know, that's what, you know, it's two, it's two aspects, right? Like you, you, you can think freely just like everybody else, but the message isn't black people have to vote Republican, but black people don't have to be Democrats, right? Like you, mm. don't, you don't have to be, you don't have to fall in line. And also maybe you should be a bit more skeptical about, about who is going to solve that problems. And if, if it's even in their benefit to solve those problems, maybe they don't want to solve them. How, how are they going to keep you voting for them all the time if they actually solve the problem? Maybe they, maybe they don't want to. And, may, you know, that aspect might be kind of cynical and skeptical. But mm. at this point, I'm kind of like, eh, maybe a different approach is needed. Maybe the idea isn't to just keep growing and feeding the government. You know, that's a very interesting take. And I can liken that in a way to like a Chris Rock joke that he says, look, he's liberal about some stuff. He's conservative about some stuff. So yeah. it all depends on the issue being discussed. And I, mm -hmm. I respect you for saying today, now in this world, in 2020, you're more leaning, more conservative. That might change in the future because you never know. Because obviously the Republicans uh, that repealed slavery might not have been the Republicans uh, 20 years later, might not have been the Republicans 30 years later. Maybe these things evolved. So that's mm -hmm. an interesting take. So look at it. I've never like thought about it that way. But going on to our earlier conversation about, you know, um, statements I disagree with you on. I yeah, mean, go ahead. I, I watched an interview one time where you said, um, and I could somehow try to understand. This is something you always do. You try to make people understand. And I could mm. you know, think about it and say, okay, he, he made some sense, you know, about Black Lives Matter, right? You mm -hmm. kind of like were pushing the narrative. That, Look, you don't, I think you, verbatim you said, you know, Black people should get over slavery, like verbatim. Like you said that, look, all mm -hmm. lives matter, that every race has a history of slavery. Obviously, in the Middle East, there was like a history of slavery uh, with you know, Asians. There was, you know, a history of slavery. Certainly in Africa and even in parts of Nigeria, there was a history of slavery where mm -hmm. we had tribal wars and people, you know, conquered other tribes and, you know, made mm -hmm. them slaves, you they, know, they in that regard. Yeah. So I could understand that part in a sense, but, you know, now using that to discount a specific fight for Black Lives Matter and talking about slavery, particularly in North America, which is like the most popular slavery, I can say maybe in history, mm -hmm. is kind of like distracting in a way, just saying all lives matter when we're talking about specific issues, like everyone who supports Black Lives Matter, to your point, you know, not, not being a Trump supporter, doesn't mean you hate him either. You know, saying Black Lives Matter doesn't mean we say yeah, all lives don't matter, but we're specifically sure. pushing the narrative that, hey, we need to change the mm. way Black people have been treated. And you, you know, pointing out the fact Wh that... Which, which interview was this? Is this a recent uh, one? I, I it was last ever... year. 
I don't think I, in any interview last year, I don't even think I spoke about Black Lives Matter. I, I, can, send, I can send you the clip. Okay. I, can't, I can't remember. Um, what, it was a British host, and I think you guys were mm. seated in these like purple chairs and things. Okay, like I think a, maybe, okay, I know the one you're, you're talking about, Sky News. Yeah, I think, I think okay, I think it. you're talking about the Sky News interview when he specifically asked me about reparations. Mm, yeah. Was that, is that, is that right? Correct. Okay, cool. So, okay, yeah, that was I, I, did, do. I didn't watch the full interview, but okay. I, I'm not sure if it was about reparations, but I know the conversation gotcha. was about, like, okay. slavery and okay, Black I Lives Matter. I got yeah. you. No, I don't think Black Lives Matter was even mentioned. I don't, I'm pretty sure it wasn't mentioned. But um, I, th I think there was a question about reparations, and he was asking me from my own perspective. I don't know, you know, it's not really my... <laughs> I'm not a Black American, so it's not really my... Um, I, don't have, I don't have a dog in the fight. But I think the question was about, do I think that um, reparations are due. Um, I can't remember what my exact answer was, but, um, what was, what was it that you, that you believe I said, that I said um, that, people, oh, so should, that I, people should get past slavery? Yeah. People should get past slavery because okay. all races have experienced okay, slavery gotcha. in the past. And for paying reparations, do we pay to everyone? Okay. How do okay. we trace far okay, back you. into biblical times yes, about yes, people yes. who owned slaves and things like yes. that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, this happens a lot when you, when, you know, when you do a ton, tons, I've done hundreds of interviews in the past year. Mm. So sometimes I think back, if I watch back my own interviews, sometimes there are things I'm like, oh, okay, I would have worded that like a little bit differently. This is probably one of those, right? So I probably would have been more clear to address um, and acknowledge the horrors of slavery. I think maybe in my brain, it's almost like it's so obvious that I don't feel that I need to dwell on it and say it and talk about how, you know, bad slavery was because it's like, to me, it's almost like a given. Does that make sense? Um, but in terms of, so in, in terms of what I actually mean though, in terms of the sentiment, I certainly agree with the sentiment, which is that, look, we live in, things are not perfect right now. And history is deeply imperfect. History is every, every country's history is full of like disgusting stuff like really if you the more you look into history the more the more the more disdain you almost end up having for humanity because the level of evil and brutality in history is just disgusting whether you're talking about slavery you're talking about um you know conquering and wars and raping and pillaging and just it's savage genocides it's 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 really really awful stuff and however it's also immutable right so no matter what happened in history we we history is important to know because one it helps us to explain why certain things are the way they are now it shows us things that we can learn from and that we should not repeat and we should not do again, right? You can see certain bad ideas that have been tried in history and you know, okay, let's not, let's not try that one again. You know, Nazism, bad idea. Let's not do that again. Communism, tried that a few times, terrible idea. Hundreds of millions of people die. Let's, let's not do that again, et cetera. Slavery, bad idea. I'm not seeing a lot of people going around these days advocating to bring back slavery, right? Like, no, we, we've, we've done that. We've been through that for centuries or millennia. Don't do that again. So I think that context is important. However, like I said, the, the past cannot be changed. So sure, it is possible for somebody, for anybody to dwell on things that happened in the past and on, on grievances and be very, be very, very focused on this. And 
it's a great way to stay angry. It's a great way to stay resentful. It's a great way to constantly have excuses and alibis for not achieving or not getting certain things done. However, what we can control, what, what do we have control of? We have the control of the present, and thus we have control of the future to at least some degree. Certainly on an individual level, we know that the decisions we make today will affect tomorrow, will affect you know the next month, next year, etc. And so in my worldview, and in what I observe with other people, regardless of their circumstances, is that it makes way more sense to be focused on the present and be focused on the future and be focused on things that can be done now to make sure that the future is not like the past. I, can, I, I use the metaphor of, of driving a car, right? If you're driving a car, you want your eyes to be, you want your eyes to be on the road. Your eyes need to be ahead so that you can steer, so that you can get to your destination. You don't spend your whole time driving with your head turned backwards looking at what is behind you because you're, you're going to crash. Yeah, you glimpse back occasionally um, to navigate, but you keep your eyes centered forward. So what I believe is individually and collectively, it makes a lot more sense to be focused on the, on the present and on, on the future. Um, and this goes for anybody, right? You have people who had horrible childhoods. Right? You might have someone who's in their 30s or in their 40s, and in the childhood, they went through hell. Right? They had a really, really bad childhood. They, it was terrible. And that person can, and you see this, right? Those, those kind of people often go two ways. They have one where they end up repeating a lot of the bad stuff that happened to them in their childhood or even doing it to other people, and, or they use that, you know, no matter how old they are, they always use what happened in their childhood as an excuse to explain away bad behavior and bad choices. But you also get people who use that as fuel and as motivation to make good decisions and to think, okay, I came from this, but my future is not going to be this. The future for my children is not going to be like this, etc. And they use that actually as fuel. And sometimes those are the people who end up being the most successful. Like they just take that energy and they transmute it into something totally, totally different. Whereas you get other people who fully embrace the sort of victim mentality and they believe the game is rigged against them, they're unlucky, you know, they came from a bad place, and so it's always going to be like that. So as someone who tries to put out a message of empowerment and of um, personal responsibility and good decision-making and seeing things from a more positive angle, that is sort of a, that, that's a much deeper and more complex explanation as to why I hold that perspective and why I voice, voice things in that way. It's also because I think that there are a lot of people who are peddling the more of what I do call a victim narrative, right? There are some people who really thrive on that and you know, are obsessed with completely focused on the past and they never want to stop talking about the past and they never want to stop people from feeling bad and feeling like victims and feeling angry at other people, et cetera. And ultimately, I don't think that's a if you genuinely love people and you want them to succeed and you want to see them do well, I think it's important to get people out of that kind of mind state. So that's why I would say something like that. Well, while I respect your arguments, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'm happy we're having like a civil conversation, like while I respect your arguments, I have two responses. Like even yeah, in a personal, do. 
even in a personal capacity, like you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're dating someone, for instance, it could be boy or girl, one partner mm-hmm. cheats on the other, that there has to be some form of apology. And some people go even as far as, you know, buying a gift of flowers to say, look, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. sorry for what happened. You can't just tell the person, look, forget about it. It was the past move on. I mean, you even alluded to it in your car analogy that look, mm-hmm. even if you're driving straight, you still have to look at the rear view mirror or the side mirrors from time to time to look at the past. That's Absolutely. one. Number two, reparation is not like a totally foreign concept. It has been mm-hmm. done before. Like the Luxembourg Agreement in the 50s, Germany paid reparations to Israel because of the Holocaust. The mm-hmm. US paid reparations to Japanese Americans when they imprisoned 120,000 Japanese mm-hmm. Americans as a result of what happened in Pearl Harbor that Japan bombed uh, a naval base in the US. They paid reparations. They've also mm-hmm. paid reparations to Native Americans in the form of casinos. So they can be an argument in about what form of reparations mm-hmm. should be paid, but saying that you know there should be no acknowledgement whatsoever for the past okay. and we should not dwell on it just to move forward. Don't you see that as problematic? Okay, I can answer both of those questions. Mm-hmm. So the first one, um, I think your analogy, firstly, I, I agree with your analogy, but the big difference there is you are talking about two people who have actually wronged each other. Okay. But one person cheated. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're talking, yes, correct. And I agree with that. If somebody wrongs you, or if, if, you, if you wrong somebody, if I wrong somebody, I owe them an apology. I need to make amends, okay? I, I, don't, I, I don't believe in collective guilt, okay? If a black guy in London who looks a little bit like me stabs and kills somebody, I don't owe anybody an apology because I didn't do it. I have nothing to do it. He owes somebody an apology. He needs to face justice. But I don't believe in collective guilt, and I don't believe in collective punishment. So nobody who is alive today, you know, was a slaveholder in the U.S. And no, well, the wealth no, was transferred to generations. Yes, it was. Yes. Those so, cotton dollars became media dollars 50 okay, years yeah, later. No, I, I understand you. But as I'm sure you know, there's no white person in America who owes you or anybody or any black or any black American an apology for that, right? It wouldn't even be a real apology because they didn't do it. They're not responsible. The people who are responsible are, are dead and gone. Just like if my, if my, if, if it turned out that my great, great, great grandfather was some Nigerian warlord who went around like, you know, doing all this horrible stuff, I'm not apologizing for that. That's not, I didn't do it. It's not my responsibility. I, I can't apologize for it. I can acknowledge history, but I have no bearing on it. Even someone in my own family, right? If my father did something, I, I can't, I can't apologize for it on his behalf. Like that's that's on him. Um, so it I wasn't just in. individuals. though. these things were ingrained in laws. It was legal to own slaves. Yes, it was legal to use the power, the, the the power and strength of Africans to of build an okay. economy that they couldn't benefit from. Of course. Okay. So who should apologize for that? Who do you I mean, the same for? people who who created the laws that used uh, African-Americans to prop up the economy without them benefiting from it, which is the government and the country should at least acknowledge and apologize and make amends for it because it was systemic, don't you think? Okay, so, okay, so these are kind of two questions that are now merging together. So you would accept that there's no white Americans as a whole and black Americans as a whole don't owe any apology to each other. Would that be, do you, or do you believe they do? Do you believe white. white Americans as a whole or any individual white American alive today owes an apology to a black American today, given that neither of them were involved in any of this? I feel the government representing the past 
of white mm-hmm. Americans okay. owes an apology to the black, to the African American communities. Okay. And what yeah. would that, so, okay. An apology, but I'm assuming an acknowledgement and an apology. Okay. Uh, would it not be fair to say that they've already acknowledged this? I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of times. Have I they? Mean, just do the, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking, does the, I mean, I, in I've some heard, sense, in the, some sense, the, it'll be US, fair. I mean, the U S does not pretend as far as I'm aware. The yeah. US I mean, and in, the US in do, some I mean, sense, in some sense, they acknowledge the past. Of course, okay. we have the African-American museum in DC. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. all these government programs and things like that. In some sense, they acknowledge, but do they really acknowledge that it was wrong though? Like, that's one so. thing. I, I've, I've have certainly they made efforts to make amends for I, that. I've certainly never heard anybody. Um, I've certainly never heard anybody defend it. Anyone, anytime <laughs> anyone talks about um, you know, slavery or Jim Crow, etc. In a, in a modern sense, I, I whether the, I, I'm not hearing any politicians saying like you know mm. that was that was a positive, right? So they shitty. talk about it. They talk about it. And this this is something everyone agrees on. Everyone's like, yeah. this, this was horrible. No one mm-hmm. is like, oh, actually, yeah, like that was that was great. We should have kept it up. You know, the well, some people still believe in segregation until today still believe that white and black people should live differently. Yeah, well, a lot of black people believe that, so too. So mm-hmm. I think that's a two-sided thing. That's a kind of a different issue. So moving on to the, um, what was the other part about reparations? Uh, it has happened before. Reparations yeah, have happened sure. to other okay. communities in the past. So in those situations, in my understanding, I'm, I might be wrong. I'm, I'm not a, I'm, I'm going to be open here and say I am not an expert on exactly what has happened with reparations in the past. Um, my understanding is that, say, for example, with the, the Japanese Americans who were interned, um, is it correct in saying that the reparations that were paid to them were actually paid to the people who actually experienced it? Yeah, like the who, direct, they, they, like, yeah, like, right, yep, it was direct. So, mm-hmm. so it, it's, it, it's, it's a fairly easy calculation to mm-hmm. see, okay, who was owed what? Okay, you, we, we did something wrong to you guys. Mm-hmm. We can pay you, right? Just like if someone, um, I don't know, if, um, if something happened legally and something, someone hurt you, right? Someone, you, someone was driving a car and accidentally hit you, then, you know, they may pay compensation to, sorry, man, like I hit you kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand that. I don't know. I'm not sure how it, how I'm not, I'm far from an expert on the Native American situation. So I can't really, I can't really speak on that without it just being conjecture. I think, I think there are sort of two questions when it comes to the, I think there are two big questions when it comes to the reparations um, question in America. I think there, the number one is, are they owed? Okay. Mm. I think that's question number one. Question number two is if it's owed, how, how much to whom, from whom, how is it distributed, etc. And that is an extraordinarily complex part it of is. the question. But don't right. we have to agree on are they owed first before we? Yeah, talk yes, about I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. So that 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 is the question. So and and there are there are arguments on both sides, and I can I can understand both of those arguments. I can understand the argument. You know, another part of it, which is so, somewhat separate but also linked, which is part of why my perspective, and it links back to something I said earlier. By the way. I'm really enjoying this conversation because I like, I like being challenged on this. So I like the fact that you're actually like going here. So mm-hmm. uh, another part of it comes back to, look, there's a part of me, maybe again, th- maybe this is cynical. I do not believe that the U.S. government is going to pay reparations. I don't think they're going to do it. Okay. I think. Are you speaking that, for the foreseeable future and the short I don't, term? Foreseeable future in my mm-hmm. life. I, I, I don't see them doing it. Mm-hmm. I think that they will use it as a 
voting tactic to get voters, right? I think. Well, what I mean, is reparation? Maybe you're thinking about reparation as money. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be. No, money. it doesn't. It can be tax rebates. It can be land allocation. It can be making like mm-hmm. just like how they did with Native Americans and casinos, like the mm-hmm. weed industry, which is becoming more and more national. They can say, okay, you know what? If you're an African American, okay, you know, and you want to get into the weed industry, maybe you don't pay for a, a, a license or something, or you don't pay okay. your first two years taxes or something. Okay, be, let, okay, let, let me necessarily let me, have to be okay, money. Let, the back, you know. I got you. Okay, let me ask a, let me ask a couple basic questions because I think perhaps we have different perspectives on this. Okay, so mm-hmm. in your perspective, how would you? Who is owed reparations? I think, in my opinion, and first let me say, you know, mm-hmm. none of us are African Americans. I mean, we both yes. have Nigerian heritage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Zubi is in the UK. I'm Nigerian who just recently moved to the US a okay. few years ago. So you know, I'm not like in any way speaking yeah, sure. for. We're just you know exploring. Yeah, yeah, this. we're we're, we're exploring it. it. In my opinion, I feel like descendants of slaves in the U.S., people who can trace their lineage to slavery in the U.S., deserve some form of reparation. Okay. So which is, which is like different from like immigrants. And I know it's all jumbled up because maybe sometimes someone happens to get married to an immigrant mm-hmm. and, you know, the mm-hmm. family like and all that. But if you can trace like your roots back to the U.S. and you don't lay claim to any country. Like, I'm Nigerian. I can always go back home. I know my village. I know where I come sure, from. But there sure. are tons of African Americans that don't necessarily know where they come, came from because their mm-hmm. great-great-great-grandfather was brought here as a slave. Mm-hmm. I think those people deserve okay. reparations. And, and, and some of those people are aware of that, but are there also not a lot of people, as we've alluded to, where the history's kind of been lost? Yes, there right? are. And we, and, we don't e- and we don't even know, There are. you know, is this person... Um, a descendant of, of, or is this someone who, you know, is their ancestor immigrated, right? The, the, these are the, 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 the in, in terms of the second part of the question, this, mm. is, like, this is just one factor, right? We, we haven't even talked about calculations, facts. but facts. This, this is already showing the, the level of complexity here mm-hmm. where it's like, wow, okay, how would, first we, we need, okay, say, say, okay, let's say, for example, it had been it had been decided. Okay, reparations are owed, right? Like some something is something is owed, right? That, that mm-hmm. if that's worked out. So if, for example, you just said, okay, we we already know. Like if they just said, okay, everybody black in America, we already know. Okay, well, if that were if I were in America, if you're in America, that doesn't that's not up. Like we we shouldn't be owed anything. But if they just said, okay, if you're black and in America, we would be included. You see, and actually, we we sort of shouldn't. Um, if they said, okay, people who can provide some evidence or something, perhaps that they descended from slaves, some people may have that. Some people will, will not, right. There's going to be all kinds of mixing immigration. I I don't, I don't even know. Um, so there's a factor. And then there's, of course, the, the big questions to me off the top of my head would be, okay, who is owed? Um, how much is owed? What format should that, should that be in? Mm -hmm. Um, who should pay it? Mm-hmm. Um, over what sort of course of period it should be paid, et cetera, so on and so forth. So, like I said, th- th- those are, those are kind of the two big questions. It is, and those the, are and those are fair questions. Like to be yeah. honest, they are fair questions, and I do believe like like the African American uh, community. And I was just talking to uh, Daja Brooks, uh, who's a young lady who grew up in uh, Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was like okay. form, formerly Black Wall Street before mm, it was burned it down. down. Yeah, yeah um, and I was talking about her that look, African Americans also, and even the Black community have a responsibility also because mm-hmm. you can't just keep asking for something. That we need to unite. We need to come together to answer all these questions. 
was, okay, who classifies, who, how much should be paid, in what form, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And we need to present these ideas, or they need to present these ideas to the government and, you know, get on the negotiating table. Like, first, the government needs to agree that, oh, look, yes, we agree you need to be paid representation. Once that is, mm-hmm. you know, sorted, mm-hmm. then everyone needs to come together in the African-American community to iron out those bits. You know, it's kind yeah. of like when the stimulus checks were paid. Like, I, mm-hmm. I didn't receive a stimulus check. Like, a lot yeah. of people were tweeting, you know, just got my stimulus check. That's because I'm a non-resident alien in the United mm-hmm. States. I am not a, 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 a resident alien and I'm not a citizen. That's why. Mm-hmm. So it was fairly easy. So when, yeah. you know, the African-American community comes together, they can start to answer those questions and look for ways to kind of like determine in what form. But uh, yeah. it's been a very interesting conversation. And again, you know, none of us are African-Americans. We're just having a casual yeah, conversation. Yeah. No, and it's, I, it's, a, it's a really interesting conversation. And, you know, like, like I said, I, I do, like, I could be wrong. You know, maybe one day this, this the government will prove me wrong, mm. right? But I look at a lot of things through the lens of incentives, okay? Mm. And frankly as a, speaking... As a typical Nigerian would. <laughs> yeah. And frankly speaking, there's more incentive for the government not to do it, but to keep it as a carrot, right? I mean, and, and part of why I say this is also observation, because look, look, do you remember last year when they had lots of uh, the Democratic candidates before they picked Joe Biden and they were having their debates, et cetera? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You heard them talking about reparations, right? The idea. Mm-hmm. It, it was. It was. Those are politicians, then. mind it you. Was, yes, those are politicians, of course. Mm-hmm. In 2020, have you noticed that that that's disappeared? Mm-hmm. Right. They're not talking about that anymore. So they talk. They talk about it when it's expedient to get votes, right? So if they know a poli- every all these politicians knows whether it's Pete Buttigieg or it's Bernie Sanders, they know that if they come out there. And they say, you know, I think reparations should be, I think it's something that needs to be discussed. It should be on the table. They know that that's going to bring in a certain percentage of True. black people who vote, right? True. So it, to me, it's like, it's like a carrot, okay? And, and, they, and they've been doing this for years, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll talk about it then when it's convenient. But then actually, when stuff happens, then, you know, it's, it, it disappears. It's no longer, it, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it to bring in the vote. And we can do this multiple times every single cycle and people never remember, but no one is going to hold our feet to the fire and say, mm-hmm. okay, we, we demand this. Like we, we want this. These are our calculations. Mm-hmm. This is how it should be done, etc." So part of my reason why I'm like, okay, I don't think people should be focused on this is number one, because I think that time and energy has an opportunity cost. And I think that there are other things that that time and energy could be spent better on, even if that is within that same community mm. building building businesses and helping each other etc right i do believe that all of that can be done and i also think that it's part of the you know i was talking about empower like self empowerment and i think that as long as you feel that somebody owes you something then that always keeps you in a bit of a weaker position mm, the victim right? mentality they, huh they, yeah they, well they have the bargaining power right mm. the, the they have the bargaining power now right the government is has the power because they know, okay, look, all these people want reparations, so we can keep them voting for us if we just keep sort of floating the idea and, mm. and mentioning it sometimes and whatever. But they also know, and, and this, I'm not even saying this is like in their conscience, but subconsciously, they certainly will know, and as politicians, some of them probably consciously know, that actually, if they did do this thing, right, next, I don't know, next year, they do say, okay, look, we're going to do reparations and we're doing it like this, boom, and it's done. That carrot is gone forever, mm. right? They, they can no longer... Short change, yeah. They can no longer use that again. I mm. do also think that there's a fair question to ask is, 
if they did it, would people actually be satisfied? Mm. You know, it, it, how, how much is enough, right? It, it, can it ever be enough? Even if they mm. said, okay, we're, even if they said like, look, say, say they did it in the most raw way possible, right? They just said, oh, you know what? We're going to cut you all a $20,000 check. I'm not even saying the random number. Okay. We're just going to cut you a $20,000 check. I don't think that would even go down well. <laughs> mm. Right. I don't think, I think people would be happy for a short time. Mm. And then I think people would be like, hey, you can't pay off slavery. That, that's, that's, <laughs> why, that's why the African-American <laughs> community needs to unite and negotiate. Like, you can't yeah. think, I don't expect yeah. them to take anything the government offers. I expect mm. them to propose something and then mm. maybe negotiate. And it's funny you said 20K because that's what Japanese-Americans were paid oh, really? in 1980. Oh, oh, yeah, we, we, okay, we can talk about, you know, this yeah. subject, you know, all day long. And I, you know, really, really appreciate the fact that we're having like a civilized uh, conversation, even though Always, we're man. somewhat Always. on opposite ends. Let's talk a little bit about music. Let's take it down yeah, a man. notch. Do talk yeah. about fun stuff. I mean, <laughs> I love Remember the Name. Like Remember oh, the you. Name is, is such is such a such a nice track. I always have it playing uh, on SoundCloud. I love SoundCloud so much because I can listen to podcasts and I can switch to oh, music cool. like at the same time instead of just sticking to Apple Podcasts where it's just nice. podcasts or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you've released like five different albums or, or yeah. you know, something same. I mean, your first album was uh, when you were a sophomore at Oxford University studying mm. computer science. You, you dropped out like 10 years ago or something. Yeah, it was a, more than that. It was a while ago, yeah. And, and it's all like do it yourself. Like you record yourself. You don't have a manager. You don't have an agent. Like you book your shows yourself. Like I respect the hustle, but let's talk about a specific track, Okay Dude, which I think you dropped, which oh, is yeah. like the most recent one you're promoted. It has a very <laughs> funny history to it. You, you, you care to share? <laughs> you care to share how that track okay. <laughs> came yeah. about? Yeah, the story is weird. Um, yeah. So yeah, just back, back in February, I just, uh, you know, as I did, I was tweeting something and I, I had a list of, uh, the, I had a list go viral. It was something like a advice for single women, how to get a great guy. And it had like five bullet points on it. Mm. It wasn't, I think it was one of those things that was like, it was controversial because it was not controversial, right? It was like, it was, it was like quite basic things. It was like, you know, be sweet, grow your hair long, learn how to cook. <laughs> grow your hair long. That's yeah, yeah. The, 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 that, that one created a whole conversation. But anyway, this, this list went out there and um, somebody responded to it and I saw they, they were verified on Twitter and they just said something like, uh, this is a terrible list. Um, I'm 95% sure I sleep with more women than you do and this is terrible or something. And I just responded, I just quote tweeted it and I just responded, okay, dude. Okay, dude. Okay, that was it. And I thought nothing of it for, and then a week later, one week later, I was on the train back from London and um, I got a notification. I got an email from Twitter saying that, you know, your account has been locked. And I'm like, wait, what? So I opened this email and it says that I have violated Twitter's hateful conduct policy. And it had, yeah, and it had some details of saying, you know, you may not discriminate or threaten or harass people based on their race, gender, sexual identity, religion, et cetera. I was like, I'm pretty sure I, I I'm pretty sure I don't do that. Like, you, you know, that's a bot, right? <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't do that. Yeah. And, um, and then it had a, a box further down and it had, um, you know, the offending tweet and it just said, okay, dude. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, what? <laughs> so, so I'm just confused. I'm like, what, what is even going on? Cause I'd, I'd even forgotten about this. Right. Um, and then I tried to go on, on the app and I was locked out. I couldn't get in. And then I appealed it. And then the next day they said they did a manual review and they can confirm that I violated their hateful conduct policy. And if I want to, you know, use my account again, I need to delete the tweet and they'll reinstate my account in 48 hours. And so th- this whole thing was bizarre. And I-, I sort of documented some of this on my Instagram and on my Facebook, just saying like, hey, like, what the heck? I've been, 
I've been uh, I've I've been locked out of Twitter because I said okay dude and so okay dude actually started trending on Twitter. <laughs> hashtag okay dude and hashtag free Zuby. So like my supporters, my fans just went crazy and started, you know, people were just talking about this. And then yeah, eventually I, I got my account back. I did have to delete the tweet. And then um I came back and I, I released uh, a t-shirt line of OK Dude t-shirts yep. of which I, I sold. I also several. released a diss track. Can I call OK Dude a diss track? <laughs> no, no, it's not I don't know. Who, no, I don't know who you're dissing. dissing. That's why I no, no, call no. it a diss track. No, it's not a diss track. Yeah, no, I put I put out the I put out the t-shirts and uh, those sold very well. I actually don- donated quite a lot of money to charity off of that. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I it created an idea for a song because that oh, just OK Dude it kind of became like a meme. You know, people would yeah. just say it. So I thought, okay, I need to make a song called Okay Dude. And um, the lyrics are a little bit inspired by it. It's not, it's not directly about the thing, but I just thought, you know what? Because um, interestingly, it's the first song that I'd made actually since I'd sort of grown so much. So mm-hmm. I released my last album last year in February, just before stuff really blew up a lot. Mm-hmm. So it had been so long since I'd made new music. And I was like, okay, I want to make a song which sort of taps into some of some of this stuff and some of these experiences and just share some of these thoughts and, and let me just do this let me just do this in a track so that that's how okay dude came about so i wanted to just kind of yeah switch it up a little bit and keep it very zooby but also drop in some you know drop in some lines that might be deemed might be deemed a little more controversial to some people but just kind of put that out there yeah, and when he says very zuby, like he he's serious about that. There's there's a, there's a certain tone <laughs> to know all his songs. He he calls himself Zuby calls himself the Jordan Peterson of rap. Jo- Jordan <laughs> Peterson being how do I even explain Jordan Peterson? He's like a oh, Canadian man. psychologist. It's a Canadian psychologist. Let me just yeah. leave it at that. Like he's Phil- this individual, and you can Google Jordan Peterson. And Zuby calls himself the Jordan Peterson <laughs> of rap. Is it because you take these real life situations and kind of like try to poke at them in the comical way? Certainly, like how you did with a video about the deadlifting. Is that why you call yourself the Jordan Peterson of rap? Um, I'm also someone who just tries to navigate navigate sense in the world mm. and to openly and honestly and authentically put my thoughts out there you know share share my ideas whether you whether people agree or disagree i mean you know like like i said you know you've you already said it there at the beginning of this of this conversation right you know like i don't agree with you on everything but i like the way you think and i like the fact that you put, you put your thoughts it. out there yeah exactly yeah. and that's i think we need more of that in the world we need more honest conversation you know there are so many people who are just fitting into their little echo chambers and they refuse to talk to anybody who disagrees with them and they just want to insult each other and scream at each other and deplatform people and that's not long long term that's actually very dangerous for society mm. you know i don't i don't think people think of the long term consequences of that i think we're starting to see it right we're seeing the division we're seeing the fracturing like why can't people why are people resorting to violence and very aggressive tactics and things like this you know it's like there are only three ways you can solve a conflict only three ways, whether this is between a, a friend, family member, even between nations, there's only three solutions. You can separate, right? You can separate, you can just divide, you can divorce, or you can talk, right? You can have dialogue, mm. or you can vi- or you can physically fight. Those are the only three ways I mean, to solve the conflict. Haven't they been trying to talk for the longest? I mean, Colin Kaepernick has been trying to have a conversation with his stance and kneeling, like no one agreed to listen. But up until the violence came, now that made people like start to listen in a sense. Yeah, man. I think look, I think a lot of people have been listening, but I think that people don't 
listening, listening is a two way thing, mm. right? So I agree. It, it's, it's okay for people to hear one side, but you know, people need to hear both sides. Right. And a lot of people want to be listened to, but they don't want to listen. Right. Interesting. And mm. that, that can, that can run in both ways. You know, it can run in both ways. Right. And the more people sort of isolate themselves, then the less that that can happen because it, it's weird. It's I, I, I kind of alluded to this in something I wrote on social media today, which is that when it comes to the most important and most fundamental things, actually, regardless of where people are on the political spectrum or what they call themselves, most people actually agree. Okay. Mm -hmm. So everybody agrees that police brutality is wrong. Everybody agrees that police brutality is unacceptable and they think it's bad. Some people may have different ideas of how much it happens to different people or what is at the cause of it, right, et cetera. But I'm not seeing people advocating for police brutality, right? Everybody agrees, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, everyone, police brutality, bad. We want to fix that, right? Almost everybody, you know, apart from some weirdos, almost everybody agrees racism is wrong right? You shouldn't, you shouldn't hurt, discriminate, be prejudiced to someone, et cetera, about immutable characteristics, let alone just their skin color, right? It's stupid. It's a bad idea. We tried this again. We've done this in history. Let's not do this again, right? People are on the same page with this. So I think a big problem is that, firstly, I think that people misrepresent each other's views way too much, right? People, people are not, mm. this is a big problem I, I'm seeing in society, which is people not being ch charitable. Right? So in this conversation, right mm. in this conversation, we've been very charitable to each other's views. Okay, so you haven't gone, hey, Zuby, you you believe what you believe because you hate black people, or you don't want black people to progress, or you think this, or you're that, right? I, I you know, I've had that before, where people just assume that the, whatever I believe, it must be for the worst reason possible, right? If someone supports Trump, it's because they're a white supremacist and they and they hate people, right? You, you, hear, you hear people saying this kind of stuff and it's like, come on, man, that's not, that's not fair. You know, like that's not a, that's not a charitable interpretation. Why don't you talk to that person, especially mm. if you disagree with them? Why don't, why don't you talk to them and gain their perspective? Maybe you'll still disagree, but at least you'll be able to understand where they're coming from. I agree. And yeah, and that's, that's been lacking a lot. Um, so, so what it's done is it, it's created, pe people end up with these sort of false binaries. So right now with all of this going on, there are some people almost talking as if most people support police brutality and support racism, right? They're, they're, they're painting, they're, they're creating almost fake opposition amongst people who actually in, in real life agree with them on mm. some of this stuff. And I think that's a big reason why things don't, don't get done because people get so emotional and they very quickly split off into these divisive camps, whereas actually everyone could agree on, I mean, let, let me give you an amazing example of this, right? I'll give you an amazing example, which you'll be familiar with, okay? The fact that, so I'm talking about the slogan here. I'm not talking about the, um, I'm not talking about the specific organization, but for five years, people have been arguing over the phrases, Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. Mm. Whereas if you go up one level, they're saying the same thing, <laughs> right? So the Black Lives Matter people, people who use that phrase, they're not saying that all lives don't matter. And the people who are saying all lives matter are not saying that black lives don't matter, but they're both sort of painting each other as if that's what they're saying. Mm. And to me, that, that's, that's getting lost in the weeds. Every, everyone agrees on both of those statements. 
right? Find me someone who, who disagrees, <laughs> who disagrees fundamentally with the idea that black lives matter, or find me someone who fundamentally disagrees with the idea that, so the fact that people are even spending all of this time and energy debating that point, you already both agree racism is bad, police brutality is bad. So in, I'm like, instead of getting lost in all of this, why don't we take it up a level, right? Mm -hmm. Why don't we take it up a level and say, okay, look, th this is what we agree on. So now we can talk about solution, right? We can now talk about, okay, do we need to, does the police need more funding so that they, we can train them better and we can actually pay police officers more? And it may, you know, I personally think it should be very difficult to become a police officer, right? I think it should have very high standards because these people have power. They can kill people. Mm. They need, they, you, you don't want just anybody Sorry, I need a drink. You don't want just anybody being able to be a police officer. There's clearly something going on in terms of the training. The, the, something obviously has to be done with the training. You, the, the idea that you think you can kneel on the back of somebody's neck for 10 minutes and you think that's okay, like there's clearly, I, I don't know how they're trained. I, I don't know all the details, but there, there's clearly something wrong there. Yeah, 21 least, weeks, 21 weeks training. That's 21, yeah, that, that's mm. crazy. You know, that's how long it takes to be, I don't know, a personal trainer or something. And, the, you know, mm -hmm. the, the personal trainers don't kill people. Mm -hmm. So the standards have to, and I, I think, again, whether people are Democrat, Republican, people agree on these points. So take the points that people agree with and then run with that and get the main problem solved. And then in terms of the things that are, you know, more, more details, you know, people, people can get into that. Because look, if you, if you resolve this, then whether or not you might have some, you might, okay, so... Let's take this. Let's, let's take the two sides. You may have somebody who thinks that the primary problem is about racism, okay? And they're very mm. focused on this happening to black people. Um, majority of people killed by the police are not black people, so I think that clearly it's bigger than that. But even if that's someone's view, someone else's view is, no, it's not about racism. It's about, um, it's about training. It's about, whatever the reasons, if you, if you find a solution, you fix both of these. You mm. see what I mean? So if you find the solution and you can stop the police from unlawfully killing people in circumstances where they shouldn't, then both of these people are actually satisfied, right? So now, you know, white people aren't being killed, black people aren't being killed, Latino people aren't being killed, et cetera. Like everyone is, everyone is happy. And what I personally find disheartening is I can have this conversation one-on-one -on -one with someone, but <laughs> on mass, like when you've got millions of people all sort of fighting mm. and coming with their own narratives and whatever, it's it's very difficult. It's almost like you need somebody. I mean, this this is a time where I mean, it would be. Yeah, I mean, I guess that that's why it's important to have platforms like this, right? A podcast mm -hmm. where it's me and you talking. Uh, I mean, if someone wants to contribute, they can most certainly comment or something. But like, just by two of us, like having a civil conversation and addressing things from both sides, like it gives people perspective and the ability to actually listen in a way mm -hmm. that there's no interference on like somewhere like Twitter, where it can turn to a whole shit show very <laughs> fast. <laughs> you very, know? very fast. Very fast. And, and what, again, what happens is people misrepresent people's views, you know, and it's like, it, and, it, and it gets frustrating because again, like I said, on the most important stuff, people actually agree. So if people could keep their eye on the ball for <laughs> a couple of minutes or, you know, mm -hmm. a, a, a few weeks, a few months, I'm actually fairly confident some of these issues could be solved relatively quickly because mm -hmm. you'd have more people on board and the energy would be more, would be more directed, right? So if you want to change the way things go with the police, 
So you you live in you live in Colorado, mm-hmm. right? So your city will have a, you know, there will be a a city and a state police force, right? The mm-hmm. people of Colorado, if they have an issue, they could go to those people in their local communities and they could say, like, look, the, this is how this is how things need to change, and they can put the pressure on those people directly. Right. I think this we've been trying to do that, like across the cities in the U.S. And they do have local mm-hmm. police. They have Denver PD, they have NYPD, mm-hmm. LAPD, mm-hmm. all that good stuff, Metro PD in D.C. Mm-hmm. And people have been trying to like, but it's just that the police, or let me not say they didn't take it as serious. Let me say some people, certain bodies or the government, or whatever, yeah. didn't take it as serious till it got to like, it's just like mm-hmm. a, a, a wife telling the husband, oh, you don't treat me well, you don't treat me well, you don't treat me well. <laughs> they, she never realizes or takes it serious until she moves out of mm-hmm. the house. Then says, oh, oh, I love my kids. I want my wife. Okay, what yeah. do I need to do to change? It's yeah, almost like, kind of like that situation. Do, 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 you, do, you know, do you know what I think, though, is I don't think that people have been on a united front. I can I really agree. Don't, yeah, I, can I don't agree think people that. have been on a united front because, like I said, it's been... Um, here's something that's actually quite unique about the George Floyd killing, right? So I, I, over the last few years, I've seen a lot of people different, you know, I, I, this is, fortunately, this isn't something that happens a lot in the UK, but in the USA, you get certain high profile police killings that happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. What was unique about the George Floyd one is that 99% of people were actually in agreement. Mm. Cause right? we could see the visuals. It was Claire's yeah, day. Yeah. You could see the visual, not just, you could see the visual, but the situation, right? You could see mm. that he, he was, he was subdued. He was, he was uh, helpless, right? He wasn't attacking the cop. He didn't have a gun. You've had some where it's like, mm, it's, it's, it's more borderline, you know, maybe the person was fighting or whatever. And mm. then, and, and it's also the length of time. So normally someone gets shot, mm-hmm. right? A, sh- a gunshot can happen very quickly. You know, mm-hmm. like you can't stop it, right? It's just boom, it happens and it's over. With this one, you could very slowly see, and there's other cops there. You can see that they could have stopped it. And so anyone who has seen that video is like, that was wrong. That was not justified. That cop needs to be held to account. Everyone, this is the one where everyone agrees on. So even the people who previously, so I know this, like in my, um, you know, in my audience, I do have lots of, um, you know, Republicans. I have a lot of people who are very pro-police. I even have a lot of police officers who follow me. And even all of the people who are normally the most, you know, more likely, if they're biased, they're biased towards the police, right? They're more Mm -hmm. likely to take the police side. Even they were like, uh uh-uh, not this one. Like this was this was wrong. So mm-hmm. even those people, like this is a situation. Even where the actually, police say the even, police yeah. say their their colleague <laughs> even, was wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Even the people who are normally like, mm, I'm gonna take the police side, right? Even they were like, uh-uh, no, like, okay, we've got a problem here. If this can happen, if a man can be killed like this over nine minutes on camera mm. in 2020. We, even the people, this is what I mean, even the people who were in denial or who thought that uh, it's not as big a problem as people say, even they are like, okay, there's clearly a problem, right? There's a problem. So I think that that's why I've been a little bit disheartened by the fact that the energy has already sprayed out in all of these different directions. So now, if you notice now, people are talking less about George Floyd and they're talking more about statues and looting and riots like they're talking about all of these different things and defund the police yeah defund the yeah defend the police you've got this autonomous zone going on in like all all of this stuff that's happening and it's like man you know hopefully it's not too late but there was a, a, a an opportune moment where actually everyone was on the same page and this is the time to go you know what let's stop let's not bicker over 
Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter. Let's not bicker over red, blue, Trump, anti. Like, this doesn't really matter, right? This is a humanitarian. This is a humanitarian issue. Just like mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not. It's not the same scale, but you know, when when ni- when nine eleven happened, everyone dropped all that stuff. Mm. Right. Every everyone dropped all of that stuff. It was like, look, we're Americans. <laughs> Let's just be American, and we we can fight about the other stuff later. <laughs> so some some so. people actually argue that that that's what it takes. It takes like an external force to unite people. Like when we have yeah. invasion from aliens, maybe that's when. Or even with coronavirus, <laughs> like the first yeah. few weeks, like everyone was exactly. pretty united on coronavirus because yeah. yeah. we're all trying to fight this together. Then later it started becoming like, <laughs> oh, the Chinese virus, or you know, black yeah. people are more susceptible, or then they yeah. start finding divides. In the midst of a virus, that's, which is crazy. I mean. but, yeah, exactly. And, but, and that's a problem. And, you know, it, it's, I think it's a human tendency. I think it's I a guess. human tendency. But I, I think, think so. that I think that that's where, I mean, and I'll, I'll be straight up. This, is, um, this, has been, this has been one of my, uh, a big criticism of Trump that I've had over the past couple months is that, you know, he's obviously not responsible for everything at all. But as the president, I feel like he has missed a few golden opportunities. Right. I think that he has had a couple opportunities here. A few? Where Yeah, no, well, very specifically in the past few months. Got it. Right. Got it. He's had some opportunities where actually now is a great time to, you know, just put put away the the, the thing with Trump is, you know, he, he, what I think he's, his strength is the same as his weakness. He's very good at fighting fire with fire. Right. If the media, his opponents, whatever, like, you know, they come after him, he goes after them. But there's also a, he's like a wartime general, Mm. right? But sometimes you need to be a peacetime general. Sometimes even if you don't like the media, you don't like the Democrats, you don't like this, you don't like that. Sometimes you need to be like, you know what, for now, I'm putting this all to the side, right? Mm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be tweeting angry stuff at Joe Biden. I'm not going to be making it right. Now's the time to, now's the time to, to, to unite America. Now's the time to lead. Yeah. Now's the time to lead. Now's the time Mm. to unite. Let me make it so that. Like if, if I had his ear, if I were his strategist, I would be like, look, look, Mr. Trump, now is the time that even, even the people who don't like, right. Don't give them, don't give them ammo. Right. Mm -hmm. Like make it so that even the people who genuinely do not like you have to, even they have to agree like, okay, he, he, what he said right there was right. You know, like be a politician. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and not, not even for nefarious means, just because, mm. look, this is what the country needs right now, right? Got it. The, the, the temperature needs to come down, right? Not, not, not keep elevating and escalating and escalating. Sometimes you need someone to come in and be like, look, okay, stop, enough. Like, I can agree. You know, <laughs> enough, right? Like, let's not, let's not burn our whole country down. That's what the true leader is supposed to do. I yeah, can agree. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that, so that, to me, like, if I have a big criticism of, of him over the past couple months, it's mm-hmm. actually been that. It's like he, he hasn't been able to shift out of the normal mode that he's been in for the last few years of fight, 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 fight. It's like, okay, like stop fighting, unite. Um, you know, come November, you can start fighting again. <laughs> you, you, you can start fighting again. But right now you got a pandemic. You've got all of this crazy stuff going on. Like fix that. And then, yeah, that, that, that's, that's my thought on that. Got it. Got it. I mean, let, let me go back to your music real quick, even as yeah. we wrap up the interview in the next 10 minutes or so. Um, I was listening to your song, Perseverance, mm-hmm. and you have this line in there that says, you don't sell dreams, you rather sell hope. Oh, Is yeah. that, do you internalize that? Or that's kind of just like in the songwriting process, just wanted to slide something in there to just add? Yeah. yeah. No, thanks for asking about that, because uh, I've never been asked about that particular lyric. 
um, never sell dreams because I'd rather sell hope. So yeah, like uh, I'm, I'm trying to dissect that. I'm trying to put myself in the mind state of, of why and when I wrote that. So I'm sure you've heard of the concept of, of selling dreams, mm. right? Of like selling people on ideas that are not realistic and are never going to happen, right? A kind of utopia. So I said, never sell dreams as in, you know, keep it real, be realistic. Um, but I'd rather sell hope. Um, I think I rhymed it with something about not selling dope as well. Right. So it's like what I'm trying to do in my music and with everything I do is it's, it's trying to, ultimately I'm trying to inspire people. I'm trying to mm. inspire, empower, g give people hope. You know, people, there's so much negativity in the world, man. <laughs> you know, there's so, there's so much negativity. A lot of people ask me like, uh, in my music, you know, how come you, how come your music is positive and you don't talk about certain things that maybe a lot of other rappers do and you don't use profanity and all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of it is because, you know, some of it is just me, but it's also like, look, man, there's enough, there's enough negative energy out there, whether mm -hmm. that's through entertainment or the media or the news or social media, there's so much just stuff that keeps people feeling sad and angry and disempowered and weak, et cetera. And my message, whether it's through my music or through my, uh, you know, I wrote my fitness book and, you know, I encourage people to get in shape and to eat better, et cetera. Through all of that, I want to give people hope, let people know that, okay, you know, life sucks, but life is also great. <laughs> you, know, like, I you know, right. Let, let, you know, stuff is not perfect. None of us are perfect. There's always things that can be better, but at the same time, pe people need hope, right? If people have mm -hmm. hope, then they can get through anything. If, if you lose hope, that, that's when, that's literally when people kill themselves, right? When they have lost all hope, right? Every, all hope is gone. There is no chance that life can get better. That's when people come to the conclusion, oh, the best thing to do is to kill myself, literally, right? And it's like, oh, no, no, that's not the way because things can always get better, right? No matter how crappy a situation you're going through, things can get better. Even if you get sick, right? You get a disease, things are not good. Something happens, you know, you lose a family member. Bad, bad things happen all the time, but people just need that hope. And so that's why I wrote that lyric. And that's also why just in my music in general, a big theme throughout is sort of hope. And, you know, the, the song is called Perseverance, right? Just things are difficult, but keep going, you know, just keep, keep grinding, keep hustling, keep working, keep learning. And things will, things will get better. You know, I do truly believe that that's not like a, a sort of cheesy guru quote or something, but I've seen enough in, in enough people's lives. We've, we've got millions and billions of people to prove it, that if you keep working, if you keep persevering on the right thing, then no matter where you come from, things can, and they will, and they will get better. If you make good decisions, they will, they will get better. I mean, I respect it. I'm glad that, you know, there are a lot of things we are on the same page on and we agree on, even though there are some things we differ on. I mean, I guess as humans, right, you can't necessarily agree on everything, but even on the things you agree on, you're still able to have like a civil conversation about it. I'm curious about this one thing, though. I mean, you're this, you have Nigerian parents, obviously, both your parents are Nigerian. They're immigrant parents who like moved to the UK, later to Saudi Arabia. You went to Oxford University, you studied computer science, you worked in Accenture. Your parents must mm. have been really proud all through that. And all of a sudden you quit <laughs> and went into music. I'm curious to know how the Nigerian father reacted to that oh, wow. particular yeah. decision. Well, God bless my parents because they, they are and they have been extremely supportive uh, of what I do. Um, and I know that that's probably an anomaly um, given the background. 
So, yeah, I mean, firstly, firstly, I think my, my parents know, know how I am. And when I set my mind to something, I'm doing it, right? Mm. <laughs> right, I'm doing it. And they also, even from a relatively young age, they, they've always trusted my decision making, right? They know that I'm not someone who, you know, it's not like I, it's not like I dropped out of university to go and pursue a rap career, right? It's like, yeah. no, like I did this and I already had the ball rolling as well. So by the time I went to do my music full time, I had already released two albums and one EP. I'd already mm. done lots of different concerts and performances. I wasn't starting from, from ground zero. It wasn't like, okay, I've never, never even done this and I'm just going to leave and take this huge risk. So the ball was already rolling. So number one, I don't think that they were really surprised when I made that decision. And number two, they know me. And so they know, okay, I've already done the calculation in my head. And so they know, okay, look, if Zuby's going to do something, he's going to do it. So let's support him. And ultimately, oh. they believe in the grand scheme of what I'm doing. And they know why I'm doing it. And they recognize my, my talent and my ability. And they've, they've seen the impact of, you know, they've seen how people are impacted by what I do. And so, sure, even if maybe at the beginning they had more hesitations or skepticism, et cetera, over the years, over time, they've been able to see, okay, like, you know, what he's doing is having an impact on people. Like, look at what he's doing. Look at him going to the USA and doing this and doing that and doing this concert. And um, so ultimately, yeah, you know, I, I do, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that they've, that they've been open-minded towards that. And um, ultimately, I think they want me to be happy too. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, think any, I think any good parent, ultimately, even if they have resistance and, you know, they might have certain ideas, ultimately they want their, they want their children to be happy. And it's, uh, you know, I'm having my successes. It's not like I'm on the street shaking a cup or something. So, you know, I'm, I'm good in that regard. And shout out to the Dezois, man. Shout out to your parents for that one. <laughs> okay, you. so in, in wrapping up the episode, I have a couple of questions. And, and you know, I, I don't necessarily have responses to these questions and I'm not going to mm -hmm. have follow-up. I'm just going to ask you like direct questions. You can choose to either say yes, no, or maybe give a brief explanation. I'm sure. not going to respond uh, just to get your thoughts on certain things. Are you ready? Go ahead. Okay, number one, do you believe in systemic racism? Um, can you define it? Because people, when when people say it, I hear I hear a lot of different meanings. I didn't yeah. really think okay, I'll have like a follow up. Okay. I don't want it. It's just like okay, a okay. question. Do, do I do I believe in um to some degree? Yes. Okay. Um, being a black man in the UK, do you believe you're privileged? Uh, yes, but not because I'm a black man in the UK, but generally yes. Okay. Uh, what's your deal with the color purple, man? <laughs> it's my color man um it's my favorite color i like it okay uh last question when will you be moving to america oh wow mm. maybe next year okay maybe next year yeah we'll see all right we're respecting you uh i mean i really at the end of the episode i always like to give uh, my guests the floor um we'll certainly have the link to the team zuby website where people can check out your merch your podcast your videos everything your is a kickstarter thing still on or that's ended? uh no i'm not running a kickstarter right now okay got it i mean they can certainly check up check out everything uh you're you're doing so if you guys want to click on the link in the description but like if you want to like shout out someone in particular if you want to like talk to your future self you want if you want to plug something specific you kind of like have the floor to do that awesome um well in terms of plugging stuff i will say that of course my music 
My podcast, Real Talk with Zuby, and my book, Strong Advice, are available now. If you go to my website, zubimusic.com, you can find links to everything and learn a bit more about me. But um, in terms of a message for the listeners, I would just reiterate a few things I've already said, which is that, you know, recognize that you are an empowered individual. You have a lot of potential. And so wherever you are right now, physically, financially, spiritually, relationships, in any regard in your life, understand that you've got the potential and the power and the capability to improve and to get better. And by doing so, you won't just be making yourself better, you'll be making your family better, your friendship group better, your community better, and ultimately the, the country better. So that's where I think people's energy should be, should be challenged. Make sure you try to get better every day. Got it, got it. I mean, I, thank you so much for, you know, taking out time out of your day to come sit with us on Culture Class Podcast. We might not necessarily agree on everything, but I do respect you a lot. I respect the way you articulate your thoughts. I respect the fact that you're an independent thinker that's not necessarily swayed by the herd mentality. I seriously respect your DIY mentality in everything that you do. Thank you for inspiring me. Personally, uh, if you guys want to follow Culture Class Podcast, you can do so. It's Culture Class Podcast on Facebook, Culture Class Podcast on Instagram, Culture Class Pod on Twitter. Reach out to us, cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think about the episode. Tell us what you want to see in future episodes. Uh, Till next time, be well. Mm